Hey everyone, this is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is Marine veteran Juan Marquez. Juan grew up in a small town in northeast Oklahoma. His high school graduation class consisted of only 56 students. He grew up as a Jehovah's Witness and couldn't participate in sports, birthday parties, or holidays. Eventually, Juan would break off from the church and enlist into the Marine Corps as a landing support specialist. Juan shares what his experience was like in the Marine Corps and how to best prepare for transitioning back into the civilian world if you enjoy this episode go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans the bigger the community the bigger the impact if you'd like to contribute your story to urban valor or know anyone else who may reach out on instagram at urban valor tv or you can email me at josh at urbanvalor.com enjoy the show so my name is swan i'm 26 years old uh serving the united states marine corps uh from 2018 to 2022 as a 0481 landing support specialist. Nice. What rank did you get out? Corporal. Yeah, so I grew up in Northeast Oklahoma, uh, super small town, population is like 2,600. Uh, my graduating class was like 56, something like that. So it's just really peaceful environment wow. for the most part. Yeah. Your high school graduating class? Yeah. Oh, wow. 56? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like everyone knew everyone like through elementary, middle school, and high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you grow up with both parents? Have any siblings? Or I grew up with uh, only my mom. My father was in the picture, and uh, my older sister. Uh, she's eleven years eleven years older than me, and uh, she grew up pretty much just like raising me with my mom while she mm. was working. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to me about uh, you know like what was your lifestyle like? Did you face any challenges? Was your childhood pretty smooth, or uh, you know a- any events happened throughout your childhood? Yeah. So my childhood was probably not as smooth as other people's childhoods. Um, yeah, with a single mom and everything like that. Uh, she worked a lot. Uh, the first ten years of my life was pretty like uh, pretty nice. I I grew up a devout Jehovah's Witness. So like I was like in a really small community, very loving community. A lot of these people like um, help raise me and uh, help raise me and my sister. And uh, yeah, it was just super loving. Um, up until I was about 10, uh, we stopped going to the church and I was kind of just like, like not like, how do I want to put this? Just kind of like not ripped away, but yeah, I just kind of like put out of that community. That's if you want to put it like that. And um at that point, uh, my sister, I think, moved away to California. And uh, so it just left me at 10 years old with a single mother who was working all the time. And now leaving the church, she uh, dealt with her own like personal issues like alcohol and stuff like that, which is something she struggled with most of her adult life. And it just left me at school as well, not knowing how to make friends. And uh, yeah, just it was really rough at like 10 years old trying to make friends at school and like figuring out how to be a kid, uh, you know, as a Jehovah's witness, you can't play sports. You can't like celebrate birthdays, Halloween, Christmas, stuff like that. So I was like excluded from everything, everything like that. And I, I was always discouraged to, uh, not talk to kids, um, and stuff like that. So having to like try to actually make friends with kids and stuff like that, it was really, it was really tough. Um, I'm curious why, how come they believe in not playing sports or celebrating birthdays and all that? Uh, it's just more of like, uh, they, they think of all these things like, uh, like worldly things, uh, like unnecessary, like celebration, stuff like that. Same thing with politics. They don't, they like discourage like people who are adults not to get into politics or worldly, worldly things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, they just kind of 
have you stray away from all that and stay in the Jehovah's Witness like community and the congregation and like other congregations. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, at, at 10 years old, did you were you aware that your mom was struggling with alcohol? Um, I didn't really like, yeah, I don't think I ever remember a time up until uh, we had made a trip to California. And then when we came back, um, I definitely noticed uh, it start picking up a little bit. And then when we left the church, uh, I started noticing it a lot. And then once my sister moved away, it was just me and my mom. And it was like super, uh, super prominent thing in my life to see her, you know, struggle with that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys have a specific reason for leaving the church? Yeah, it was just um, my mom. Uh, I think a couple people in the congregation had figured out that uh, she like kind of drank regularly, and then she was like dating someone that she worked with, which he was outside of the church and it was kind of frowned upon, and like among other things. Um, yeah, I think that was probably the biggest reason. And um, once you like, you kind of get excommunicated out of the church, but you have a chance to come back in. And uh, my mom just, I think at that point, she didn't want to go back into the church. Hmm. Um, what inspired you to join the military? Uh, well, it was, it was a lot of things, um, going into, uh, like high school, I started playing sports after I left, uh, the church. And, uh, that was one thing I was really excited about. Um, when I was in high school, I, I really liked playing football and it was like something I really enjoyed. So like my plans were after to maybe like walk on at a college and like start coaching, uh, didn't happen. I didn't really take uh, college that serious. Like two, three years, like I was just making subpar grades. Like I was, uh, I was going to sleep at like two o'clock in the morning. I worked. I was working full time and going to school full time. And like I was getting off at like eleven o'clock, um, going to the gym at like twelve and going to sleep at two or three o'clock in the morning, expecting to go to class at like eight o'clock. And I was missing a lot of class, um, and it just kind of led. Uh, and two. So that was, I graduated 2014, 20, 2015, 2016, I was going to school full time. And then at the end of 2016, my mom had a major stroke and it was from her working. Uh, it, the, she started smoking a lot too, after that, she kind of like quit the drinking, but it was just a lifetime of just like stress, alcohol, and, uh, and then the smoke at the time and diabetes as well. So it was just like multiple factors uh, that caused the stroke. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, did she recover from it? Um, not fully. No, like her speech is like permanently impaired as well as, uh, her, some of her cognitive ability, her short-term memory and, uh, like her movement, like it's just the whole left side of her body. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, what'd she think about you wanting to join the military? Um, it was, she was scared just like any other parent, but, um, you know, at that point, uh, it was just one of those things, you know, it was, it was my time. I was like 21 when I decided to join the Marines. Uh, so, uh, she, she just like supported me, but she was just like worried about like my safety and stuff like that, especially like in the military. Most people don't know, you know, what goes on in the military. They just see like guns and stuff overseas and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it, it was more. Uh, yeah, just a little bit of worry for my safety. Um, why'd you pick the Marines? Uh, it was just, I, I always knew people like growing up, like I'd always met Marines and then like, uh, knowing people that I went to high school with that like joined other branches, branches of service. Um, they went to like army or air force and then like 
just looking at every Marine that I've ever met, it was just like, they were always held to like a higher standard. So it was just, I felt like me joining, uh, it just gave me like a certain challenge that um, I wanted in life. Like I felt pretty stagnant at like 21, 22. And uh, especially like in my little small town of Oklahoma, I was like, this is like the perfect chance for me to, you know, see what I'm made of. Mm -hmm. um, what was your recruiter experience like? Uh, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty straightforward. I, I remember when I first contacted him, I was working at a casino at the time and I was working as a security guard. And, uh, at that time, like it was probably the easiest job of my life. And, uh, the people there were telling me at the time, you're like, you're a 21 year old kid, you know, you're a young, smart guy. If you stay here long enough, um, you'll move up the management ladder and you'll have a pretty solid job here. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then I thought about it more. I was like, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And it was just one day, like after hours of just like walking around uh, the casino, I finally went on my break. Uh, I, I remember it was like the first week of September, 2017. I went on my break. I looked up on my phone, uh, the nearest recruiting office. And I already had like the Marine Corps in mind, but I called it. Um, he, he just asked me the basic questions of, uh, like where I was from, um, so on and so forth. And then he got me like an in-person appointment, like two days later, I went after work and, uh, yeah, the rest of history, um, he just kind of asked me, you know, all, all the basic recruiter questions. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to pick your job? I did. Yeah. He, he, I took, uh, I took the test, see what I qualified for and what was open at the time. And uh, there was a lot of things uh, that I was looking to do. Uh, comms was one of them. And then he showed me uh, this logistic, logistics contract. It was like ammo tech, embarkation specialist, and uh, landing support. He told me I was going to be an embarker. He's like, yeah, like it's kind of like a desk job. He's like, I, I look at you. Um, you're probably not the infantry type. And I agreed with him. But he's like, this is probably a good thing for you to do. I was like, all right, let's do it. And I signed a contract. This was... Uh, October 2017. Mm. So you signed in 2017, but you didn't go till 2018, right? Yeah, it took me 11 months, almost a year to go to boot camp. Um, my sister was like in the process of doing a nursing program and uh, she fully supported me too because at the time, both her and I were taking care of my mom. And um, she just like, hey, just wait till June until I'm done with my nursing program and then like go do your thing. I'm like, All right, cool. And I told my recruiter that and he was like totally fine with it. He didn't give me any pushback or anything like that. Um, great guy. And he's like, I'm going to do my best to keep this contract for you because I know you really want it. I know how important it is to, you know, stay here and help your family out. Uh, so he did. And, um, you know, come June is like, yeah, eight months later, my sister does her thing, finishes the nursing program. And, uh, he gives me a call. He's like, Hey man, it got pushed back like two weeks. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Uh, it just gives me a little bit more time to, I don't know, prepare mentally, I guess. And then he gives me another call. It got pushed back again, man. It's going to be like the middle end of July. I was like, all right, cool. And then, um, gives me another call. Hey, it got pushed back to August. I started getting frustrated at this point and I was like, I've been waiting this long. Like, am I ever going to go like to boot camp and be a Marine, you know? And then finally it got pushed back one more time and it was like, uh, your ship date is September 3rd, 2018. Talk to me about boot camp. Um, what was that experience like for you? 
Uh, I think for me, uh, it was it was a big shock, just like anyone else. And uh, looking back on it now, you know, the things that we were doing in you know recruit training were not like necessarily hard. You know, you're getting eight hours of sleep. Uh, it's just a lot of physical. It's physically ta- taxing, but for myself, it was more not mentally taxing, but just uh, I had I think I had anxiety going into uh, recruit training that I, I hadn't addressed in the past. And uh, it, I found myself a lot of times um, just kind of like freezing up and just not knowing, knowing what to do or just like unable to do a certain task. And it, like I said, um, it's not like the things you do in recruit training are like necessarily like rocket scientist hard, but it's just I found like it, it was something that I really, I really noticed and I never really thought about until like I was put under like the amount of stress that, you know, any recruit is put under. So it was just like a very eye-opening thing to see that, um, yeah, this thing that I had hadn't been addressed for these many years, you know, mm-hmm. at 22 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any memories of boot camp? Any stories you could share with us? Um, I, I think uh, probably one of the memories that I do remember, that's kind of a funny one, um, it was after... We had just got done doing our swim qual and uh, like there's the, the drill instructors were like, Hey, like you guys, you guys are finishing up pretty quick. You guys go back in groups of two and just like go by yourselves and um, whatever. And I remember I was like one of the first ones back. It was like, it was like, I was like the second or third group back of two. And uh, I walk in and I see this kid, he's a little like uh country kid from Arkansas and he was crying. I'm like, what is going on? And, uh, uh, our knowledge had just <laughs> told us to like, start, like get on the quarter deck and start like doing mountain climbers and all that. And then he made him like, uh, sit there and watch everyone get it. Like as everyone was coming in, everyone was coming in, they started getting it right away, right away. And he made him watch because he was the first one back and he like fell asleep on a seat back. <laughs> Oh. yeah and like he like literally the whole platoon came back and they all got it in front of him and he's just sitting there crying he's like maybe five two like a hundred pounds soaking wet <laughs> and, he, and he's just like you know a little like 17 year old kid and just like <laughs> watching everyone like feeling like a piece of shit because he fell asleep wow yeah wow so after boot camp i imagine you went to your uh mos school yeah. Uh, oh, well, actually, what did you go, like MCT? Yeah, non-combat MOSs went to MCT. Uh, did that West Coast on Camp Pendleton up at SOI. And then uh, went to, uh, got my orders uh, to be a 0481. And then got went to Camp Johnson, which is on Camp Lejeune. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that. And um, what exactly it, is a 0481? It's a, a landing sports specialist uh, for those in the Marine Corps is a red patcher. So pretty much our like main job is uh, just like making sure uh, cargo vehicles get off properly, like on ships, planes, trains. And uh, another part of the job is just uh, hooking up cargo uh, under helicopters as like the most dangerous part of our job. Uh, that's like the thing that they uh, focused on in the schoolhouse, too. That was like the culminating event. Mm hmm. I got there January, uh, first week of January, and uh, even though the schoolhouse is only five weeks long, I was there for six months. Um, they were so backed up, and you know they could only have like forty at a time in the class, and um, there was like you know that many people there. So like I just it's just a 
me in these holding barracks with a bunch of other Marines just sitting around waiting and, you know, everyone's getting, you know, all these, you know, brand new Marines out of boot camp getting super fucked up, you know, causing all kinds of trouble. Wow. Yeah. So you were waiting around for months to yeah. go to school? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I got there January, the first week of January, and I didn't graduate until July 3rd. Did you have like a regimented structure to your day? We had like... I think like two staff sergeants in charge of us and like, um, like day to day. And they would just tell us to get, they would get in formation. We'd get in formation in the morning, take accountability. And we just go to like this basketball court and just sit there. That's all we did. <laughs> Not even kidding. What a waste of time. Mm -hmm. huh? And it's just for the simple fact that they had nothing, you know, they had nothing for us to do. We would try to, they try to like, um, get us to do volunteer events, like help around, do other things like in Camp Johnson as much as they could. Um, but yeah, for the most part, we just sat around. So it's just, um, a recipe for a lot of people to get in trouble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have any stories about anybody getting into trouble? Uh, I think I, re I remember one I had, <laughs> the funny thing is, um, so I had shown up and this, uh, this kid that I knew from my RS, my recruiting station, I had recognized him. I was like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, hey, dude, how's it going? Um, not like two weeks later, um, I guess I found out that uh, he had gotten in trouble He'd, for underage drinking. He was like, he, it was like blatant. He got in trouble. And then he was like on restriction. And uh, he ended up breaking restriction and uh, drinking again. And he, it was something along the lines of he, uh, went up to the duty and like try to swing on the duty. He was like a private cause he had like gotten busted down and, um, <laughs> the duty like took a big old swing on him and just like, just knocked him out. And like in front of everyone, this was probably like a Friday or Saturday. And, uh, I never saw him after that. <laughs> and it was just super funny cause it was just this guy from like my hometown area. And, um, yeah, that was a super, super great experience. Wow. Um, so when you finally got dropped to your actual school, mm -hmm. uh, what was that like? Uh, I mean, it was, it was cool to finally learn my job. You know, it was like, like I said, I waited like 11 months to go to boot camp. Now I waited this long to, you know, get my job. And now like I'm finally learning my stuff. Um, it was pretty cool. Like the job was pretty straightforward. Just like, you know, uh, the the cargo vehicle stuff coming on and off the ships that's like the main important thing so you know when you hit the fleet uh you're like helping on load for like a deployment like a mew or something like that that was like a bulk of the job and then the cool part was uh going under helicopters and just hooking up uh stuff you know like uh ammo cans uh, mres stuff like that uh like in training Whenever you do a training like on Pendleton or Lejeune, they have like these big 10K beams that uh, uh, you pretty much, you know, it's just like a makeshift load. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, can you walk us through that process? Like what happens? Uh, you know, a helicopter is the helicopter is flying at this time mm -hmm. that you're hooking up the cargo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk? How does that work? So pretty much you go, uh, depending on what the load is, you like prepare it to be picked up. And, um, you'll like beforehand, you're like in contact with the, the squadron, the pilots, whatever. And you like figure out how many, um, how many lifts you're going to do like in training. So let's say we're doing training on Camp Pendleton. Um, it's more of like, Hey, we're going to do like 10 picks. We're going to switch pilots and do another 10 picks. 
and um, you go to the load before they get there, uh, hook everything up. It's like on a sling. They have like three, three legs, three, four legs, depending. Um, usually, so that was wrong. So it depends. You can either do like a, a dual point, which is two and two, or you can do a single point and there's four legs. Mm. I'm kind of rusty. But um, yeah, you just prepare accordingly, uh, make sure everything's you know nice and snug. And then um, pretty much uh, there'll be, there's three people under the whole time. There's just like a safety, he has a radio, he or she has a radio and they're talking to the, the commander and they'll say, hey, the bird's about to come in. And then you have someone who like is called a static and they pretty much, they have this big like hook and they like tap, they tap the hook because uh, there's so much static from the helicopter. Um, I forgot how many volts. I don't, I don't know what the voltage is, but like if you don't like ground it out, you can, uh, there's people that have died from it. Um, I heard a story, uh, Camp Johnson, uh, someone had lost a testicle. What? From, yeah, someone, yeah, someone didn't ground it out properly and they had lost a whole testicle. But so the safety's under there, making sure that everything's good, um, you know, getting comms. Uh, the static just has this hook. They're just static and, you know, like grounding it out. And then you have just the hook man, just like, here you go, hooks. And then like, uh, you just uh, make sure everything's snug whenever you're walking away from the load and make sure nothing gets caught on anything. You walk out and then helicopter picks up the load and then goes and does a cycle, comes back and then you just repeat the process. So you gotta make sure, I imagine that it's, uh, there's not too much weight, right? Cause the, the helo can only lift a certain amount of weight, things like that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, the HST commander and the pilots talk about, like what they're going to lift exactly. So, like, uh, you know, in training, you'll talk to the HST commander. will talk to uh, like the ops chief or opso of a certain squadron, and uh, they'll say, "Hey, we're going to lift like uh, tires. We're going to lift like an MRE pallet, and then uh, the team will prepare accordingly." bring a net they're going to bring like so many slings so uh it's just kind of like a, a before beforehand preparation it's not like a kind of like on the fly like you know winging it type thing right mm -hmm. right so once i graduated from the schoolhouse i got a job to first transportation support battalion first tsb and it was essentially a motor t company and um first uh transportation support battalion LS company. So we had a whole company of, uh, red patchers and, um, we were not the main, the main priority in that battalion. It was very much so like, uh, we're more the troublemakers. Um, a lot of like drug issues in, in the battalion or in LS company specifically. And, uh, yeah, like we didn't get to do as many like, uh, external lifts with Lowe's do that type of training. Like it was very like, uh, very sporadic mm. for me anyway my first five six months in the fleet i didn't do that many and it was just more just like china you know as a junior marine trying to like sit around and like make yourself useful type yeah of thing. yeah mm -hmm. what kind of drug issues were there was going um on? well i remember one in specific uh there was a actual uh, drug ring uh that happened in more specifically ls company in my like in my section and uh my roommate was part of that at one point and uh, I remember when everything was happening, um, I had actually moved rooms because um, 
he, his NCOs, cause he was a different platoon, were like beefing with my NCOs about like field day. Like his side of the room was like not clean enough, stuff like that. So like I moved, this was November. And then December we were, um, helping, I think we were helping offload the 15th Mew. They had just got back from deployment. And, uh, like, uh, we saw in the group chat, a bunch of people had got called back, uh, to, uh, Camp Pendleton. We were down at Naval Base, San Diego. And, uh, yeah, later that day, we found out a bunch of people, like, got, uh, busted for this drug ring that they were part of. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people, like, following that got, uh, they popped hot for Coke, um, a lot of stuff like that. So it was just, like, my experience, my first six months to a year uh, in LS company, I just saw that all these like issues that wow. <laughs> that was happening. What kind of things were those? Were they were they just doing drugs or were they selling drugs? I, I think um, I'm a little like rusty on like the details, but I just know that there's a couple people like dealing them um, with uh, people from like different units on Pendleton, and then there's people like in the unit that were also consuming them, buying them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, when you got dropped to your unit as a, as a brand new Marine, uh, <clears throat> did you have to go through any type of initiation? I'd probably say the one initiation that we did was like, uh, the first, uh, like external lift, the HST. Um, it was a night one. So, um, whenever you do those, it was kind of a tradition to, uh, you had glow sticks, right? And, um, these glow sticks you would put on the back of your flax and like, uh, they also put them on the hooks just so you could see during the night and then coming back, um, it was kind of a tradition for, uh, red patchers to on their first HST to break the glow sticks open and drink it. Um, yeah. What the fuck would happen when you drank it? Uh, well, I remember, I forgot who was there when I did mine, but all I remember is I did, I'm like, fuck it, dude, let's do it. And, uh, I cracked it open and like, uh, put it back. I immediately spit everything out. There's like glass in there too. So, uh, yeah. Now you went on deployment, right? Yeah. I went on deployment, um, in 2020. Uh, so I hit the fleet 2019, July, 2019 and 2020 ended up going on a training exercise with my company. Uh, that happened during COVID. We left, uh, February, 2020 and then came back COVID had hit. So everything was different. Uh, while I was on quarantine coming back from that training exercise, um, I found out, well, someone had texted me. They're like, Hey, do you want to go on a special purpose MAGTAF? That's all they said. They didn't tell me any details. I'm like, yeah, sure. So that's, uh, what ended up, uh, leading me to go on deployment October of 2020. Yeah. Talk to me about that. So October, 2020, uh, we kind of had a workup before, um, beforehand, uh, we didn't have the usual workout uh, most people get like six months mm-hmm. we had like four and a half months mm-hmm. and so it was kind of like everything was condensed um i remember I, probably the only thing that i remember very vividly was uh me going to the field for a week i went with my fr- uh, friend andrew um so when we went on deployment we we're attached to a uh, motor t platoon and uh yeah it was just us 10 red patchers attached to this motor t platoon but at the time when we went to the field it was just me and andrew we're the only red patches there. And then it was the, all these motor T guys. And then they're doing kind of like a training exercise for five days. Um, they're doing like all their, you know, um, all their formations with their trucks, you know, how, um, a convoy would conduct themselves, you know, in country. And it was just simulated in camp Pendleton. Um, so pretty much me and him were just like 
uh, the bump team. We were just like a couple extra rifles in the back of the truck. And we were just like, you know, pointing our rifle here or there whenever they pulled to the side and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing I remember from that was it was like a culminating event. And, um, first of all, it was this certain part of Camp Pendleton. And, uh, I remember before we went there, um, I think it was our platoon sergeant, but he's like, he's like, Hey, if the, if something happens on this hill coming up, just jump out of the truck. And they're like, why, why are you telling us that? And, uh, I guess that specific hill, uh, there's been like two or three accidents where multiple Marines, multiple Marines had died, mm. you know, during training. So, um, yeah, that, that was a thing. And, uh, I remember, uh, like the culminating event was like, we had to escort our platoon commander and it was kind of like a village elder type thing. We had to go to the top of the hill. Uh, we had to escort him. He had to like negotiate something with these village elders and they, they were actual contractors that, uh, the Marine Corps had hired that they sp spoke Arabic and they also had like a village, like a simulated village. Um, and the, there was probably like 30 people. They all spoke Arabic and they had to like act like they were like uh, hostile, like uh, people in, um, in country. And like, they were just, I, I remember this one guy specifically, uh, I think I was in a Humvee and, uh, he didn't have an arm. I remember, but like he jumped up on the Humvee. And then as we got out trying to like calm everyone down, he was just like, uh, he was definitely saying some slurs in Arabic, but then he was like taking people's radios and just fucking chucking it and stuff like that. And it, it got really, they, they made it seem so real at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that was probably one of the coolest experiences, even though at the time, you know, in, in that environment, it didn't seem like fake. It seemed, uh, super real. Mm. Uh -huh. Why did they call you guys red patchers? Yeah. So, um, in the Marine Corps, we're the only MOS that is, uh, allowed to wear, uh, it's a red patch on, on the cover. And then they have it like right here, uh, just, just a little red patch. And, uh, it, it's, uh, is a world war two, uh, tradition. So whenever, um, Marines were storming the beaches, uh, there was like the landing shore party. And then there's like the infantry Marines, there's infantry Marines who would stay back saying that they were part of the landing shore party that was like getting all this gear off. So like to mitigate that, they put red patches on their, on their covers and their camis. And that's where it came from. It's just part of that. Yeah, it's just like a little tradition and it's like stuck ever since. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you guys get attached to different, like multiple different units. Is that right? Yeah. Because I want to say, um, I remember some of uh, the combat engineers that were attached to us had those red patches. Um, yeah, it, it depends. I, I know um, my last unit I was at, um, these landing support battalions, they kind of, they rate these combat engineers. And so they're allowed to wear red patches. Technically, the only MOS that is allowed to wear them is the 0481s. Mm. And um, the last unit I came from, it was just kind of uh, one of those things. If you were a part of the battalion, you you wore the red patches. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I was on Al Jabra Kuwait from like October to the beginning of December, and um, they were planning for like a, a retrograde to Saudi Arabia. Uh, I get sent to Saudi Arabia January first. I land in Saudi Arabia January first. When we get there, they're telling us like, hey, like you're going to be doing like bunker drills uh, on a regular basis. There's a lot of like activity going on as far as just like IDF and stuff like that. Um, so we were doing that like twice a week, stuff like that. It was like kind of not a thing. Um, 
eventually, I think it was like February. Uh, my birthday is February 20th. So I kind of remember it was, it was a little bit before or after, um, I had, I used to get up like super early in the morning, everyone in my tent, there's like five, six guys in the tent. They would always sleep in, but I'd get up at like fucking five o'clock in the morning, go eat breakfast. And then I'd like go to the gym three hours later. But I remember that morning I had got back from breakfast and the sun was like all the way up. And, uh, whenever they would do the, the drills, they would say like exercise, exercise. And then the intercom came on, but they, they just said alarm, whatever. Yeah. Like whatever code they had. And, uh, I looked at someone in the tent and like, they didn't say exercise. And I was just, I kind of walked outside and I didn't even have like my pants on at the time. And then I like, I go to the back to my rack and I grab my Kevlar and my flag and I didn't even have my pants on at the time. And all of a sudden, usually during the exercise, you get like five minutes or something like that to get your flag on and get ready and then go to the bunker. Um, at that time, you know, I was grabbing my flag. I had barely put it on. I didn't have my pants on. The alarm goes off. Everyone's going to the bunker right now. It's the real thing. And like, I remember I ran all the way to the bunker, like pulling my pants up and, uh, yeah, nothing happened. It was just like, uh, it was a very close call. I think it was like five, 10 minutes away. There's like a possible like drone strike or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was funny after the fact too. I think the next day, uh, we were in one of the trucks and, uh, we were going somewhere, um, off from where we stayed. And, uh, there's this American radio and I think it was an air force radio, but it was just, they're like, Hey, good morning, everyone. This is, uh, this is so-and-so it's, it's February 18th. Um, hopefully everyone's doing good. And then he, the, the guy on the radio is like, well, you might not be doing so good if you're in Riyadh right now. And he just kind of like popped the joke about, you know, someone, uh, you know, like a drone strike. And I was like, wow. It's pretty like a uh, fucked up sense of humor, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so another story, uh, it wasn't that specific uh, deployment with a MAGTAF. Uh, this was the train exercise native fury. And um, so during that train exercise, uh, us red patches were just in charge of uh, all the cargo and gear coming off uh, the ships. And I, I remember I was on the beach the whole time. So as everything rolled off, I was, you know, saying X amount of vehicles are coming off. We're, uh, looking at the load plan, make sure everything reflects correctly. Um, but during that, uh, we, they had like PFCs, Lance Corporals doing the ECP at the COC and we were, it's kind of like Firewatch. And, um, me and my friend had Firewatch this one night, uh, ECP watch. And, um, we were just, it was like two o'clock in the morning. We we're just trying to stay awake <laughs> watching like movies on our phone and stuff. And, uh, this, vehicle like comes up super fast um we had a there's a bathroom like out in the distance the vehicle comes up super fast this guy like he doesn't run but he walks really fast and uh he goes to the bathroom this sergeant comes out and he's like who the fuck was that and we're like i don't know like it was just some guy and uh they were on high alert because um someone like a week or two before it was just this guy on base. It was a shady character. He was like taking pictures of like different angles of the COC. So the Sergeant comes out. He's like, if he comes out and points his phone and tries to take a picture, point your rifle at him. Cause we were all carrying rifles at the time, but um, we didn't have any, we didn't have any magazines uh, like on us. We didn't, we weren't condition three or anything like that, but um, <laughs> okay. And like two or three more people come out. Um, we go to his vehicle and at that point I was like, 
you know, I, I realized how serious the situation might become. And I was like, well, shit, I better put my flak on. And I did that. And we we're like looking at the vehicle. I, at that moment, I was like, man, like I might die right here. This could be like a suicide bomber, just a shady character. Um, everyone's like taking pictures inside. Guy comes out of the bathroom and it's American contractor. He was in one of the lots, um, like during the offload. And he's, he pretty much just said, he's like, I didn't want to go take a shit in the porta potty. Like I wanted to come to a real bathroom. And <laughs> so it was just, it turns out to be an American contractor. Like, All right. See you later, man. And, uh, he ends up getting stuck right there. He, uh, he was parked in the sand and like, he tried for like two or three minutes. So we'd spent like, like 10 minutes trying to like help him. <laughs> yeah. So it just, yeah, it turned from like thinking I'm going to die to helping this guy get his uh, vehicle out of the sand. <laughs> wow. There's one more story from deployment uh, with the MAGTAF. It was towards the end. And uh, we all had like, on the flight line, we all had like duties and stuff like that. Uh, everyone had like a specific billet or job. And uh, I remember at one point, it was towards the end, like I had I had messed something up on the, on the manifest for like passengers and I had added someone. So they're like, hey, you fucked up. You're just going to drive the bus right now. And like... Uh, uh, we had like this bus that we had passengers that we would take to uh, the flight line, uh, people who were like flying out. Um, and I remember one night I had um, dropped people off. They had just come back and I dropped them off at whatever like barracks they were at. And uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, I was just like trying to get out of there really quick. I just wanted to get back to the flight line. I forgot what I had going on. I don't know. I wanted to get back to the flight line like super fast. So I put the bus in reverse and like I back all the way up, all the way up, and then I run into a post, um, and uh, it no nothing happened. It wasn't like no windows broke or anything like that. the The bus was still serviceable, but it was just like they, it was just such a big deal. <laughs> and uh, they're like, "Okay, you fucked that up. You're just gonna do COVID forms." <laughs> and I did COVID forms for the rest of the deployment, and then um, our replacements had come out, and uh, we just kind of let them take uh, take the reins, and one of them ended up like uh backing the bus up too and breaking the window so and i think something like that happened before we had got there someone had like uh not with the bus but one of the like uh, john deere tractors that would use to move stuff they had like busted one of the windows out and that so like i i think it was just like kind of inevitable that something like that was going to happen why did you choose to leave um and what has the transition been like for you so far I think um, going into the Marine Corps, I, I just wanted uh, a chance for me to like, it was more of a stepping stone. I knew that the Marine Corps would help me like pay for education. Um, and I just wanted to do something with my life. And um, I love the Marine Corps. I, I have no regrets. I just, I think it just probably wasn't something I was going to see myself doing for another two, three, four enlistments. Um, so I think you know, especially toward that last year, I was really in my mind preparing to, you know, see what my life looked like outside of the Marine Corps. So like school, um, you know, getting a degree, um, you know, establishing myself here in California, cause I didn't want to go back to Oklahoma and I had family here in California, um, a big extended family that, you know, I, I've been away from my whole life. And now I'm starting to get to know them. So I was like, I feel like this is my home now. So I just really had to prepare mentally uh, to to really transition out. Mm. So 
you had family out here this uh, this whole time that you didn't know growing up or? Yeah. Like I had come out to California multiple times. Uh, my mom, before uh, she had me, she was in a marriage uh, and she had my sister and uh, she lived in California for about 15 years, I want to say. And uh, so a lot of my family is already established in like LA County mm. and Orange County, Inland Empire. Uh, so it was like, it was a thing of me throughout my childhood coming out and visiting like here and there. So I knew I had a family out here. It was just, I, you know, I had seen them on a regular basis pretty mm. much. Uh, I think, um, the biggest thing that I learned from the Marine Corps, especially just the high tempo environment that, um, a lot of Marines find themselves in, um, I had, I would say, you know, going to recruit training, I found out that I had a lot of anxiety and whenever I'm put under a lot of stress and I feel like just the experiences that I had in that high tempo environment. And a lot of times I, uh, my anxiety just had me freeze up. Like I just, I went internal and stuff like that. So like once I left the Marine Corps, I, I figured out, uh, very quickly that a lot of things that used to stress me out before, um, stuff like, uh, not even running errands, but probably stuff like paying bills, uh, like school. Like here recently, I, I went to school in the fall and I had like five classes and I found myself, um, I had like two or three papers due. I had a project due. I had to study for two tests. This was all within like a week's time. And I was telling my sister this and she's like, you're like dealing with this so well. Um, all of this is rolling off your shoulders. Like before the, the person that I knew before you went to the military, um, he would have been freaking out. And she saw it. She lived with me when I w was going to college and working full time. And now I feel like um, I'm just able to deal with uh, stress, stress in such a way that, you know, these mountain of tasks get stacked up and I'm able to like really, um, what's the word I want to use? Not like compartmentalize, but just really like put things in perspective. So all these tasks that are coming up to the ceiling, I'm able to put them in front of me and just get them done one by one. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember a professor too. Uh, she was asking like the whole class, she's like, is everyone okay? Like everyone's like super stressed out. I see people crying. And, uh, someone else had asked me like, are you not like stressed out from finals? And I'm like, not really. No, like everything's like, I did all my work. I did all my homework and like, I have nothing to worry about. And I didn't have anything to worry about. Like I still my finals and all that stuff. So I think just like, being put under so much stress and like just that go, go, go mentality. Um, it really, uh, coming out to the civilian side really, uh, showed me that, you know, anything put in front of me, I think is, um, gave you the discipline to do it, gave me the discipline and really like to operate under, under a lot of like stress. Mm. Mm -hmm. So were you, uh, in a classroom environment going to school? Like, yeah, it wasn't online. You were actually going and sitting in a classroom. Yeah, I, I was in a classroom environment. I was going to school. Um, did you struggle at all being in a classroom full of college students after just spending four years in the Marine Corps? Uh, it was definitely, it was definitely a little bit of an adjustment. I thought I was going to do just fine because I told myself I've done college before. I've had jobs before. Like I know how to interact with people. But being pulled out of the Marine Corps for four years, and that's all you know, that's your whole environment. And then, uh, yeah, seeing these 17, 18-year-old kids, um, yeah, I, I think uh, especially uh, me, like, being the Marine I am, I, like, would sit in the front, um, you know, try to answer questions as best as I could. And uh, I would just, it, it would kind of 
I would see like other students that I had class with and they were like, you know, straight out of high school and they didn't take it as seriously or something like that. Um, so I, I would never be the person to say like, Hey, like shut up. Like I'm, or I'm a veteran, like this is not how it's supposed to be or something like that. But I definitely, um, I realized just my mindset from when I first went to college to, to now is just like so much different. And, um, yeah, I, I realized how it it was, it was weird for me to see like an actual, like from, it was almost like an outsider perspective of how other people, uh, like viewed college and everything else. Hmm. Awesome, man. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are you doing now? Yeah. So, uh, like after the fall semester, I, um, you know, I did well on all my classes and, uh, I was doing, you know, awesome. I loved all my professors and I kind of just looked at myself again and I was like, is this really what I want to do? Like, uh, long-term, like on the other side, looking at the other side of like a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, like all these careers that I have in front of me, is that something I really want to do? And I looked at myself like, not really, no. And, uh, I just kind of like went through, uh, like a couple options in my head, uh, a prior service recruiter reached out to me and like told me, you know, um, the opportunities the reserves had. And, you know, I was, I knew in my head I wasn't going to do it, but I just still like was keeping the option open. Uh, I told him like, Hey, like, uh, I'll just sleep on it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And then I remember that night I had a dream and, um, it was, it was pretty, uh, profound in the sense that like I had almost like a near death experience in the dream. And it just really put things into perspective, uh, just as far as like what I want to do that makes me happy in life. Mm. So, um, I kind of went through my options again for a couple more days and I, uh, I had a friend that I served with. Um, he, he got into like firefighting. Um, and I just kind of looked at that. I was like, well, that's something I can do. You know, like it's not that bad of a gig and it kind of gives me that camaraderie again. Um, just that sense of community. Um, I can stay here in California and, uh, you know, uh, still stay close to my family, uh, and all that. So I was like, this is like an amazing option. So right now I'm going to school, uh, taking fire classes. And then the upcoming fall, I'm like geared up to apply for a fire Academy. Nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. Um, any last words before we cut the tape? Uh, I'd probably just say like people transitioning out, um, have a plan have a plan getting out and then just try to like surround yourself with like a good, um, support system. You might not have family, but find like a good group of like friends, like just a good positive uplifting, like support system around you. Because, um, if you don't have that, you're going to be like, you're going to be really lonely. Mm. Yeah. Right on Juan. Um, thanks for being here, brother. Semper Fi. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I got bad thoughts that make my mind scared Hold me hostage and they don't fight fair Who gon' pray for me and wipe on my tears? Who gon' save me if you not right here? Move this darkness and make my sight clear Take me away cause I don't like here Ghost of my past, they feeling the night air Wake me up, I'm trapped in my nightmares